0: to the forward ever podcast i'm your host olga dinma and i'm your host dex and we're here to give you current events history and analysis from a revolutionary pan-africanist perspective and the nation class and gender analysis that uses this pan-africanist perspective as well we know that land is the basis of liberation and that until africa is free no african anywhere will be free or respected all right everybody you know um we got our guests over here um Robert Roth and uh, Pierre Labossiere. Is that the last name? That's correct. Yes.
1: Labossiere. Yes.
0: Nice, nice, nice. So we uh, just want to go ahead and start off. Uh, if You can both give us some background information on who you both are.
1: Yes. Uh, my name is Pierre Labossiere, and I'm originally from Haiti, and I'm a co-founder of the Haiti Action Committee.
2: Okay, and I'm I'm Robert Roth. And I'm originally from New York, um, and I'm a co-founder of the Haiti Action Committee. And I'm I've I've also been a, a educator, teacher, high school teacher for 30 years.
0: Okay, nice, nice. So, you no, know, let me go ahead and just start off with the with the lead question, since you both are co-founders. What led you both to to co-found the Haiti Action Committee?
2: Um, I'll start on this one. Um, I was, I was working, I've been an activist since I was a kid, and I was working on two things. I was working on, um, on a committee to free Geronimo Pratt, who was a Black Panther political prisoner who'd been, you know, um, imprisoned for decades. And I was also working on a, a campaign to end U.S. Uh, intervention in El Salvador and support the popular movement there. And in both of those things, I met Pierre, who was organizing around Haiti as he'd always been. And, you know, particularly around our connection around the Geronimo work, he said, I think, you know, you should be interested in what's going on in Haiti. And, you know, in terms of black liberation, in terms of, you know, one of the most important struggles in the world today. And that started my involvement. And then in Right after the first coup in 1991 against Aristide um, is when we began to work together and, you know, form the Haiti Action Committee. First it was a coalition and then a committee, and we've been doing it ever since. That's my story, which, of course, involves Pierre as a mentor and a guide in, in this work.
1: Well, uh, on my part, I left Haiti when I was 14, 1970, lived in New York, and got very involved in the movement at the time against um, Papa Dog Duvalier and later Baby Dog Duvalier. Also, I was very involved in community work. I was very inspired by the civil rights movement, though we had very limited information about it while living in Haiti under the dictatorship of Papa Dog Duvalier. But in New York, I had a chance to learn to read Brother Malcolm X and to also uh, read and see the Black Panther Party, members of the Black Panther Party, and learn about the resistance of brothers and sisters in the U.S., about the struggle. And later on, I, when I moved to California, uh, I got very involved in the anti-apartheid struggle, also the struggle for in solidarity with Central America against the wars of taking place there by the, by the administration, Reagan, and then Bush, and, uh, and all that crowd. That's when I met Robert, and, uh, and we started working together, and he mentioned uh, Brother Giovanni Mojijaga, other political prisoners as well. And we've been uh, great friends and brothers and mentoring to each other about the struggles, along with other comrades, sisters and brothers in the Bay Area who formed the Haiti Action Co- Committee. Well,
0: that's, that's great. I mean, it's just great for us to hear um, that, especially the interconnection between the struggles of, you know, the folks with the civil rights and the Black Panther Party and how it inspired y'all to get involved and, and, and the, how you guys were working on anti-interventionist uh, politics as well. in El Salvador it was just just great. It just encompasses everything we want to, you know, get to our viewers about how all our struggles are connected. So that was just great. To hear that background. I'm sure people listening will be great to hear that as well. Um, so, going on to my next question, um, what are the goals and initiatives of the Haiti Action Committee?
1: The goals are, one, to provide support, first to tell the stories of what's going on in Haiti. That was one of the most frustrating things Uh, during when I was active, well, I'm still active, but during the years of activism, is that many people didn't know about what was going on in Haiti and the nature of the struggle there. And so fighting Papa Doc, I ran into all kinds of misconceptions. And again, with Baby Doc Duvalier, usually people presented Haiti as a uh, as a case of charity, as a basket case, or poor Haiti, like we couldn't get it together. But we realizing that Haiti was a victim of imperialist aggression and an ongoing imperialist war to plunder the resources of the country and to exploit our brothers and sisters there. And so our goals have been to let people know about what's going on, And also, when we organize um, visits, delegations from Haiti, brothers and sisters involved in the struggle have asked us to tell the story and to also do what we can to support them politically, financially, and most importantly, by telling the story of what's going on in order to get people to act in solidarity with the grassroots struggle taking place in Haiti for liberation and self-determination. And
2: and the only thing I would add is that one of our campaigns, it's called to make make Haiti visible And and to make Haiti visible in the broader progressive and radical movement. Often, Haiti remains marginalized. And, you know, we think that that's a lot about race and about a lack of understanding of the strategic importance of the movement in Haiti and the, street and the strategic importance of Haiti in terms of the designs of, of U.S. empire. You know, mm-hmm. Haiti has always been in the crosshairs of the United States and, and Western European powers, and it still is today. And we're trying to, you know, really fight to get people to not see Haiti as just one of a laundry list of places in the world to think about, but as a place to take really seriously and to study and to learn
0: from. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I know for us, just having you guys, you know, come on here and, and, and educate us and be able to educate us on some of the questions we're gonna have uh, regarding Haiti, it's, its contemporary history and how we got to this point, can be very useful for us and, and, and the viewers to understand what's going on, how we can get involved and support, you know, the goals that you guys want to see uh, implemented. So, um, you know, let's go ahead and talk about some of the contemporary history that that led to this point. Um, so, I won't go to the next question. So, many people, you know, mark they marked the 2004 U.S. back coup that overthrew Aristide. I believe that's his name, in the Fanmi Lavalas uh, party as the start date of the era of what we see as repressive governance. Uh, the the party that was a social democratic party that had a lot of popular support, from what I what I've studied. Having that overthrown had, you know, kind of caused Haiti to go into a state of turmoil, from from what I've read, and which has led to what we what we see today. And uh, there also seems to be clear parallels between this era of Haitian history and the Papa Doc uh, dictatorship that you know you experienced, Pierre. And obviously we have the long history of the imperialism for intervention, Haiti. Um, the viewers may not be, but I know me and I know you two, you're aware of the role that Hillary Clinton recently played with Haiti from the Obama administration. What do you What do you two consider the starting point? Do you consider that overthrow of Aristide uh, to be the starting point? And uh, what do you think is background information that's necessary for our viewers to understand, for us to be able to properly contextualize what's going on today.
2: I think that the overthrow of Aristide in 2004 is a defining moment in Haitian history, but I would go back further, you know, and like in terms of recent history, you'd have to look at, you know, the movement that rose up to defeat and overturn the Duvalier dictatorships in 1986, and that led to the first democratically elected government in Haitian history, in mm-hmm. you know, and the, the first democratic election for president in Haitian history, in which um, at that time, Father Aristide, Father jean bertrand Aristide, no longer um, a priest, won an overwhelming electoral victory and began to institute um, a popular democracy in Haiti. And— that And that was in um, his his rule or his governance lasted only a, a number of months until he was overthrown by the first coup against a Lavalas Lava government. Lavalas is the people's movement in Haiti that mm-hmm. has, you know, defined the demands of the popular struggle there. So he was elected in You know, 1990, took office in 91 and was out of office by September 30th, 1991, and there were years of terror in Haiti by the same forces that are now in power in Haiti. So he comes back. He comes back into office in 2000. He wins an election again in 2000, comes back into office and is overthrown again by, you know, a U.S.-orchestrated coup along with Canada, France, and then occupied, Haiti occupied by the U.N., by U.N. forces to enforce mm-hmm. the coup. And that that overthrow is the, you know, defines the period that we're in now. What's happening in Haiti, even though it's 17 years later, is the continuation of the coup that overthrew this popular government, a government that built mm. more schools, mm. you know, than had been built in the entire history of Haiti, a government that mm. set up rural health care clinics, a government that, you know, established literacy programs in the poorest areas, built parks in the poorest communities in Haiti, raised mm. the minimum wage, doubled it, you know, mm. um, taxed the rich for the first time in Haiti's history. So these were the beginnings of democratic governance in Haiti, and that was overthrown in a violent coup and kidnapping of Aristide that happened on February 29, 2004. So yes, that is a defining moment in Haiti's history. But you also need to go back to the period of upsurge against Duvalier to see the power of that popular movement that's continued until today.
1: And uh, let me add to this, um, the history of resistance and what you are seeing now uh, is a continuous resistance that by the people of Haiti, by the masses of our people, which which started with our kidnapping, the kidnapping of our foremothers and forefathers in Africa. They resisted slavery, centuries of slavery the resistance continued at the grassroots level when you talk you talk to anybody in haiti they always mm-hmm. bring up slavery the kidnapping of our foremothers and forefathers and the continued resistance which culminated in the haitian revolution mm-hmm. and the the breaking the the destruction of slavery the abolition of slavery in haiti and the fight against colonialism haiti was one of the main of the struggle against colonialism and providing support, material support, political support, and safe haven for revolutionaries throughout the Americas and anywhere in the world who wanted to fight for the liberation of their people. And Haiti asked only one thing in return, which was the abolition of slavery. And Haiti asked that people from all over the world, anyone who was in need, any enslaved person, anyone fighting for freedom against colonialism, they could come to Haiti and they would become Haitian citizens. Or if they didn't want to stay, they wanted to go back and fight, Haiti would give them the assistance they needed and also train volunteers. So many spilled their blood um, fighting in with Simon Bolivar uh, in various countries throughout uh, Latin America for the liberation of Latin America. I bring this up Simply to say that on the ground in Haiti, after independence, what we call today neo-colonialist regimes, there were several of those that post-independence, after independence, in the decades afterwards, slowly they crept up and there there were several neo-colonialist regimes. And that's what has brought Haiti down to its knees, what we are seeing today. And I like to bring this up because People in Haiti always, when they tell the story of what's going on today, they go back to that period. But to just bring it to a close, the struggle has been a struggle for land. After slavery, the question was, how do we organize this society? How do we change this society from one of colonial domination and super exploitation of the masses of our sisters and brothers? How do we change it so that people can break up the plantations and each one have a piece of land so that they can live in communalism, the communalism they knew in Africa. So that didn't fit in the model of the colonialist uh, powers and their lackeys who took over power in Haiti. And so there was continuous resistance internally in Haiti, uh, continuous warfare between the masses of our people And this little elite that was emerging backed up by the imperialist powers who wanted to maintain the same colonial uh, relationship. And that's how you can see within that context when France came back in 1826 and demanded that the Haitian government pay monies to the French slave owners who had... um, Uh, enslaved our people and exploited them, and they wanted to continue the colonial system, the governments previously of Dessalines and Pétion and also Christophe told them where to go and how to get there, and uh, Dessalines, they wouldn't dare to come near Dessalines. However, with Jean-Pierre Boyer, he yielded to French pressure, and the French, supported by the U.S., Britain, Spain, all the colonial enslavers, they they forced Haiti to pay a ransom uh, to the tune of what was at the time calculated by President Aristide to be the equivalent of close to $21.7 billion. And Haiti didn't finish paying this money, not until 1946. But the Haitian masses, they were the ones whose labor was being exploited in order to pay that money. And thus we, we had the continuation of the colonial system that the masses in Haiti are fighting against. And this is part of what's going on today, right now as we speak, the struggle against this. And people are saying enough of this colonial relationship. We want true liberation and we want the promises of the Haitian revolution to be fulfilled.
0: And that's that's powerful and that's correct. Uh- all Africans struggle for Africans everywhere. It's about freeing the land. It's about and sovereignty, you know, sovereignty to control our our own destiny and self determination. It's the struggle that that we all fight as Africans to this day. And uh, you know, we you know we we keep keep everlasting you know solidarity for Haitians. You know, the Haitian revolution is is one that inspires Haitians, but it also inspires Africans around the world. Uh, we all look up to Haiti, and the example is set. By freeing themselves and ridding themselves of slavery, that legacy will forever live on. Uh, so let's go into the next question. Um, this is regards to the current regime. Can you, can you, can uh, you both explain to us who the current U.S. backed president, I think, uh, Jovenel Moyes is, and how he came to power? And uh, I want to re-emphasize this that the people. That the person in power that the Haitians are struggling against right now is US backed. Mm-hmm. I want to emphasize this again. This is a US-backed regime that uh Haitians are struggling against right now.
2: It, <clears throat> it's really a US installed regime. Mm. You even, know, Jovenel Mo, Moise would not be president of Haiti. Like and and he's not even considered by the by the masses of people to be their president. Mm-hmm. Um would not be running this country if it weren't for the United States. The, the U.S. intervened in the—to to put into power the previous president, um, Michel Martelly. Uh, Hillary Clinton was in uh, Egypt in the middle of the Arab Spring and came back to Haiti to insist to the Electoral Council of Haiti, that they, that Martelly, who was the head of the PHDK party, which is kind of like, it's it's known in Haiti as the skinhead party, uh, an ultra-right-wing fascist party, she came back to insist that he be in the runoff, that he be moved up one notch so that he could be in the runoff for president. And he won in a completely fraudulent election. And then he, when when he left office, his handpicked successor was Jovenel Moise, a businessman, a businessman in Haiti, who was completely tied in to the Duvalierists, um, the the legacy of Duvalier and the legacy of this group FRAP, which had terrorized Haitians after the 1991 coup. So this is who the United States picked to run Haiti, and in his reign, he's, you know, responsible for the theft of billions of dollars from a fund established by Venezuela, you know, where they, uh, you know, where they gave uh, below market rate oil to Haiti on the grounds that Haiti would then use the profits to fund social programs. Instead the profits, and we're talking it could be $4 billion, went right into the pockets of government officials. And he's overseen a reign of terror in Haiti, including massacres in many of the opposition communities. So it harkens back to the Tonton Macoutes that were the death squads under the Duvalier regimes. And people in Haiti now say that it's worse. Than it's ever been in terms of the economic conditions, the social conditions, and the terror that they're experiencing. A huge wave of kidnappings, you know, with total impunity um, from the government. The government has unleashed these paramilitary forces, you know, including, like, you know, people that the U.S. calls gangs, but they're working in conjunction with the government to terrorize one community after another in order to crush the resistance, the resistance that Pierre, as Pierre said, has continued from the beginning and is in the streets today. Today we saw, i, I you know, someone in Haiti sent a video of, you know, looking like hundreds of thousands of people in the streets demanding an end to this government. So this government right. has no legitimacy, um, and the people want a new government, a government that, you know, a broad representation to move the country back towards a democratic alternative.
0: Yes, mm.
1: um, the one, one thing I'd like to add to what Robert has described is that the current Jovenel Moïse, you know, <laughs> we don't even refer to him as president at all mm. because uh, he's not and has never been considered the president by the Haitian people. And people was up, you know, like um, I was looking, people in Haiti were looking at what was going on in Georgia and people were following that very closely. Not in terms of necessarily Republicans and Democrats, but they they felt a deep connection with the voter suppression that um, brothers and sisters in Georgia had been dealing with, not only in this current moment, but even the history Since Reconstruction, you know, post-slavery, Reconstruction of voter suppression, people in Haiti are very attuned to the history, to the history of brothers and sisters in the U.S., in the Caribbean, and on the African continent. They listen a lot to radio news about what's going on, and they feel deeply the connections. So what they celebrated was the victory by seeing that people were able to turn out massively, and and vote and defeat forces that were the same forces that in Haiti are suppressing their vote and are also going the extra mile by killing them, similar to what the KKK uh, was doing recently in, in, in the South. And that's what people in Haiti are experiencing all the time coming to the present. And so a number of those massacres have that as Robert was indicated. So people felt that that strong sense of solidarity and that sense of, yes, we won our brothers and sisters. So a win here is a win there because people feel it's the same struggle and the same forces that are exploiting and repressing our our people. And I want to say this in, in our minds also, Haiti became known as Haiti after the revolution was won. Before that, it was the Congos, the Mandingos, the Hausas, the Igbos, and and what we call the 21 nations, the 21 nations, 21 identified groups from Africa who were brought Mm. in and they came together. Because remember two thirds of the brothers and sisters of our foremothers and forefathers who were enslaved in Haiti two thirds of them had been born in Africa. So they knew something else. They were captives, they were kidnapped, but they they came from stable societies and communities that were and were kidnapped and brought in chains. So Africa to them was on their mind and very strong, but they federated, they came together. And after they won the revolution, that's when they renamed the land Haiti. So after the revolution, there was this strong desire to reunite the family, because many of them had been separated from their kinfolks. Some of the kinfolks were sent to different islands or different places. And that's why by saying, come back to Haiti, however you can make it back, it was a way, a call to reunite the family.
0: That's interesting. I never heard the land of 21 nations. Yeah, that's um, my first time hearing it, too. That's uh,
1: did you say Igbo and Hausa were there, too? The Igbos, the Hausas, the Nago. You know, <laughs> funny, I was talking to a brother from Ghana. And Mm. I said, I said, man, who are the Yorubas? We don't, you know, I've heard of the Nago people. And I started, and he started laughing. He said, well, Nago, that's it, that's Yoruba. Wow. (laughs) And I said, hey, man, I had no idea, you know. So we we were were having a lot of fun and and sharing about the various peoples. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's truly a pan-Africanist revolution. That's what it is.
0: It's truly an African history. It's amazing. Going back to... So we talk about Moïse, uh, Robert was explaining the violence he committed as well as the parallels to him and Doc. I want to ask another question in regards to Moïse. It says that he's been ruling by decree since January, if if what I read is correct. Uh, what does this mean and how did this happen? And what's, and what's to come from this in regards to the Haitian people?
1: Um, the, the ruling by decree, basically what we are having is the, the, another way to look at this. Duvalier, in, Duvalier was installed by the US in 1957. And I, I want to mention here that we have to be careful many times that when not everybody who says black power means black power. Mm-hmm. There are people who talk black, but who are actually agents of imperialism. And, uh, and that's basically Papa Dog Duvalier. But he was able to use the language of the movement to use the message of the movement, but really to undermine and destroy the movement. There was a powerful mm. movement in Haiti that culminated mm. in a um, big uh, upsurge in 1946. Duvalier was part of it, but he was later, he was co-opted and used to destroy many of the key leaders and the infrastructure of that movement. And that's what his dictatorship was all about. So um, one of the things about, and I'm sorry if I'm straying from the question a bit, but, uh, but I wanted to give you that little tidbit here. So what we are seeing in Haiti, the US has always wanted to dominate Haiti, but by using, and it's not just Haiti, we look at Africa, we look at Latin America, Asia, different countries, by propping up dictators. People who would go against any kind of democratic institution, any kind of checks and balances, in order to rule, to rule as dictators. and But it's not really what's coming out of their mind. It's what the imperialist masters are telling them to do. And they give them the weapons. If we look at the plantation, the overseer, that's it. That's the exact typical example of it. The overseer, the master tells him what to do and to break bones and what have you and install and instill terror. And that's what they do. And that's what Jovenel Moise is placed in there to do. Basically, what we are seeing in Haiti right now is the United Nations, the OAS, the US, using those institutions and the core group of countries, which is made up of Brazil, Spain, I believe England, Germany, the European Union, there are nine members of it. Mm -hmm. And they form France, of course, Canada, the OAS, and they form some kind of a council that manages Haiti as a colonial, as a colony of the West. And so what they are doing, so they have this fig leaf of independence where Jovenel supposed supposedly is the independent president, but actually that's how they rule Haiti, through a puppet, through an Uncle Tom, through a lackey, and that's what he is. And so mm-hmm. his job is to terrorize the population, is to bring out all kinds of terror against people, and um, and that's the world that he is performing. That's why they don't want to let him go. So to the question about uh, parliament, there was a parliament established, uh, which Jovenel Mo is completely, totally controlled. Um, there was a group of parliamentarians, a small little group that stood in in um, that stood in resistance against some of these most egregious policies. And he was more than eager to, a year ago, to um, state that Parliament, their constitutional mandate was over by citing Article 134-2 of the Constitution that said it doesn't matter when you came into office, if your term is supposed to end on February 7th, 20, I'm sorry, January 14th, I believe it was 2020, That said, you are done, even if you spent three years out of a four-year term, you are done. So, and that article uh, also applies to the president. When it came time for him, so he was more than happy to do that, because that way, that meant that he could get rid of any kind of checks and balances, whatever little there was. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to his term, which is supposed to end February 7, 2020, he decided, oh, no, that... Uh He's supposed to do a full five years, which is um, to extend it to 2022. And he had the full support of the U.S., the U.N., and the Coglu to do that, but which is totally and completely uh, contrary to the Haitian constitution. And that's why that's what's going on.
2: And he has no legitimacy in Haiti. I mean, this is an illegitimate government and— you know, broad sectors of the society, not just the popular movement, um, have had it with him. And, you know, because it's like the Duvaliers, he's not, he's stealing mainly from the poor, but he's also stealing from members of the elite, Mm. you know, and, and he's got all power in his hands. And so there is a broad grouping of forces that are opposed to him, which brings up like one of the nuances in the situation today, which is that there are going to be a lot of people who come out against him, who are, you know, what you would call part of the bourgeoisie, part of the, and who, and whose goal is not to empower the masses of the people, but to get their share of Mm -hmm. the, to get their share of the goods, of the export trade, of all of the things that Moise and his gang are, you know, dominating right now. So for us in Haiti Action, we have always been in solidarity with the grassroots movement right. in Haiti, you know, led by Lavalas. You know, Lavalas means the flash flood of the people. You know, like as mm-hmm. the as the as the water comes down from the mountains, it picks up speed, it picks up you know, breath and power, and eventually it becomes a flash flood that can't be contained, and that's the movement that is in the streets right now. You know the images that you see now. The ones that are projected here in the U.S. is not that movement. You you won't hear much about the people's movement, Lavalas, Aristide right now. You won't hear it here, but in Haiti. You go Mm -hmm. into the streets, you go into the communities, and that's what you hear. And that's Mm -hmm. the behind, you know, this movement to oust the Moïse regime, but to bring in a transitional period that really represents the popular organizations that are leading the fight.
1: And that's where it means people need to be super, super, super careful. I -hmm. remember when we were fighting against the Duvalier dictatorship, And um, everyone, anyone who was against Duvalier was uh, considered to be a Democrat, and I mean with a small d, meaning participatory democracy, revolutionary democracy, meaning people, everyone around the table, making decisions that benefit the communities and the individuals who live in the communities. And so many people uh, were Talking both from the left and the right, you are those who are quoting Mao and Che and what have you. But one thing we've learned, uh, the grassroots have learned, it's by the deeds and the actions of people, not by the message. Because many times they have, like Duvalier has shown, they have a message of of they quote black power, but it's best to it's to fool. People so that they can get away, they can do a better job as agents. And I want to to mention here the uh, brother Fred Hampton and what happened in his case in terms of and the Panthers and many other movements. Where later on people realized that many of the of many people in key positions were actually agents of the of Cointel of F, of the FBI. And mm-hmm. we got to always guard against that. The way he's consolidating
0: power, just from what we discussed, just so much eerie similarities to Papa Doc. It it's just speaks to the to the volumes. And we'll talk and we'll talk about this later, you uh, after uh, these questions, um, about just how the media treats struggles when the government in places U.S. map in comparison to where you know they, they take another struggle where the, when an enemy. Uh, We'll get a little bit later, but and just it's not because you guys are giving us is a uh, much appreciated. pointing to this next question, you know, on social media has started like Haitians aware of the reason why their struggles are not covered by in, in the same ways that you know something like the reactionary Hong Kong protests were, and uh, you know, for some of the people listening, the weird reason why I say I classify that as reactionary is because uh, when you look at the the struggle for that, you saw a lot of A lot of the protesters, majority of the protesters were were in line with the colonialists. You know, many were waving Union Jack flags. We had a lot of right wingers like, you know, uh, Marco Rubio supporting the movement. Ted Cruz was supporting that. Uh, You know, you had a fascist from like the Ukraine, for example, were supporting that. So, you know, that's not a movement that sits like it's for the people in terms of a good cause. You know, that looks like a reactionary movement. And you also had a situation where, you know, when you had LeBron speak out in terms of staying, you know, Mm -hmm. funny enough, it was in regards to the China situation, he kind of channeled Mao's signature saying of, you know, no investigation, no right to speak. Well, LeBron talked in that subject. He said, you know, if you're not educated in terms of Daryl Moore, he said, don't talk about the situation. And a lot of the Hong Kong protesters responded in racial epithets. So Mm -hmm. I I bring that up to say, you know, this, those protests were, what do they call those people? They called them freedom fighters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They said that they were fighting for democracy. These are those people who are aligned with everything I just said. That's verifiable. They called them freedom fighters. They're aligned with democracy. But yet the Haitian struggle, which is clearly won against dictatorship, clearly won for liberation, crickets Mm -hmm. from the Mm -hmm. national. Crickets, absolute right. crickets. I want to ask you both: Why do you guys? Why do you both think this dynamic exists?
2: First of all, you're absolutely right about the way that um, that Haiti is dealt with, um, and it's, you know, what's like. Take a look, for example, at Venezuela. You know, where the U.S. has, uh, you know, like this tight ty- this small opposition groupings. That are completely a part of the Venezuelan elite and middle class, Mm -hmm. you know, versus the masses of Venezuelans. And yet, every time one of the opposition forces sneezes, it's, you know, it's like a major cold, you know, and flu in the United States. It's like this is the most important thing, you know, that we've ever heard. Whereas in Haiti, you can have hundreds of thousands of people in the streets. Right. Which, for example, you had, you have right now, and in the period when um, Jovenel Moise, you know, was running fake elections to get to get into power, Haitians demonstrated in the streets for over sixty days in a row, and we're talking about tens and hundreds of thousands of people in the streets demanding a, a an end to the regime and the overturning. Of an illegitimate election, and the coverage was like you're saying, cricket. The other thing that's happening is that the violence that's being unleashed by the Moise regime is characterized as gang warfare, like fights between rival gangs, which is the racialization that they always do, whether it's about Africa, about Black people in the US, mm-hmm. you know where, you know, the image of Haiti is as a violent, chaotic society in which gangs are just fighting each other over spoils. And what's not being dealt with is that there's actually a massive opposition to this and that the the gang warfare, in quotes, is really under the control of the government and, you know, supported by, you know, by massive aid to the Haitian police forces and the Haitian security forces and the and the rebuilding of a, you know, horrific Haitian army, that this is the real picture there. So instead you have, like, on the one hand, you have a complete, um, you know, silence about the opposition, about the massive popular opposition, and then on the other hand, you have the characterization of terror, as really just gangsters fighting each other. You mm-hmm. know? So these are the images that then play on, you know, the the racial stereotyping that goes on in the US around black people all the time. You know, and it has an impact, and we're trying to fight it and and provide a real counter to that narrative.
1: Yes, and um one of the things to what to add To add to what Robert is saying, one of the things that we saw from the very beginning, the Haiti Action Committee, we saw that this was bringing back the old days of Papa Doc way beforehand. And um, really by putting it, by labeling it in the media as as, uh, gangs, they were able to reinforce these Mm -hmm. so-called gangs, right, which we call death squads, because that's what they are, the new Toto Makuts, and get them to expand. And it's not as if they don't know. People do know. They know. All these officials, they know that. Uh, Antonio Guterres, who's the UN Secretary General, on October 5th, asked Jimmy Barbecue Cherizier, one of the leaders of the... Uh, G9 death squad. The G9 is like, a, they call it a federation of gangs slash death squads that have come together. They form a federation and they receive, uh, according to various reports, a ministry from the Ministry of Social Affairs in Haiti. They receive a certificate as a as an NGO, as a non-governmental agency that's doing work to the, to benefit the population. So Antonio Guterres went on October 5th and made the statement to one of the, to the official spokesperson uh, saying that uh, the G9 has brought the rate of violent homicides down in the areas of Haiti where it is present. Now, can you believe that? Can you believe this? And I, I, I'm sure the APRP would believe it because you are very familiar with the Congo and what happened right. in the, um, We've got the Patrice Lumumba and other examples. But this is what's going on. And at the same time, during that weekend of of early October, the G9 was attacking and massacring people in Bel Air, which is right in downtown Port-au-Prince, right across the street from the National Palace. And at the same time, the Haitian police, while the G9 was was massacring innocent people, people who were just minding their business, attacking them, burning their homes. The Haitian police nearby was attacking students at the University of Ethnology, shooting into the the school itself and killing one of the students, Gregory St. Hilaire, who was uh, one of the student leaders and, and demanding that the funds that funds be provided for the university to be taken care of for the library and all of that. So that was happening right there in downtown Port-au-Prince, right across the street from the National Palace. So this is the level of what's going on. And by the way, just to add to this, Jovenel Moïse was a member of FRAP. One of the Haitian human rights organizations of attorneys uh, stated that he was used to receive training and I'm quoting them now paraphrasing their statement uh, that, they, that they used to receive training with the FRAP, which is the death squad that supported, uh, that was very active in killing people during the 1991, 1994 coup d'etat. Used to receive training right there in downtown Chant Mars, in downtown Port-au-Prince. And when he became, when he was installed as president, one of his first acts was to go to the Dominican Republic to visit the Haitian dictator, military dictator Namfie, who was living in the Henry Namfi, who was living in the Dominican Republic. Henry Namfi was the one who was who had organized the burning of the Church of Father jean Bertrand Aristide, who later became President Aristide, massacring people in the church while they were while he was celebrating mass. So this is well known by the U.S well-known by the United Nations, well-known by the OAS, uh, well-known by all, and they have never tried to bring Namphy to trial for crimes against humanity, and uh, Franco-Main, or any of those people who were part of this assassination, of these, of these many killings that were recorded.
2: One of the things that we're trying to do is, you know, <clears throat> this has been a bipartisan policy towards Haiti. It's you know, there have been coups under the what what Haitians call Papa Bush and then mm-hmm. baby Bush, but there's also been the support of dictatorship by the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. And you know, in the immediate aftermath of Biden's election, his mm-hmm. secretary the State Department issued a um, issued a letter, a statement saying that they supported Jovenel Moise going at least going one more year and organizing elections. And so we're attempting to expose that and pressure, you know, pressure from the grassroots and through, you know, like working, you know, pressuring Congress to end the support for the Moise regime and to end the, you um, the, financial support and the training for the Haitian police and military. And, you know, for the Biden administration to start off around its Haiti policy with an announcement of support from OE's was absolutely unacceptable. And, you know, we're not going to just let that stand. We're trying to build like a broad based effort to expose that U.S. policy and change it.
1: Pay attention, you'll be hearing the Creole slogan, Sali Public. When you hear that in the demonstrations or for people who are attuned to social media in Haiti, you'll see that Sali Public it's a call of the people for their demand for a people's government or for public safety. Sali means safety, but public means uh, public. So what this means, it's, the, it's as opposed to these proposals that are out there or to the U.S., um, U.N. line of either keeping Jovenel Moïse in power and or to have to handpick somebody who will do their bidding. Haitians are saying, no, enough of this. We are mm. tired of this nonsense. We want, we the people, the mass movement, we know they are capable, dedicated, uh, honest, competent individuals, people who, are, who have a nationalist um, instinct who, are, who will be moving with the love of the people to implement programs that will benefit, that will deal with issues that affect people, such as um, the need for healthcare, the need for education. Many of our teachers haven't been paid for months so many other things, lack of drinking water. It's not that Haiti doesn't have the resources. It's just that okay. the resources, the tax monies are being stolen and diverted into the pockets of corrupt officials and NGOs and, and, and that little elite that dominates Haiti. So people want their immediate needs to be dealt with and in the process to rebuild institutions that will be in, in service of the population. And then we will determine and move along and prepare for elections that will be honest, credible elections where one person, one vote will be the order of the day. Just like the elections that used to take place after the fall of Baby Doc, when in 19, starting in 1990, there was a good continuation of credible elections in Haiti. And um, when the UN, after the coup d'etat, the UN took over, these were just show elections where they handpicked mm-hmm. people that they wanted, and that was it. They imposed them on the population. So pay attention gotcha. to salipiblik. This is the people's call. Okay. Well, everybody,
0: you heard that. You know, pay attention to that. Rewind that back a little bit again if you want to rehear that again. Uh, crucial, Crucial information right there. I want to go ahead and wrap it up. Two more points to talk about. One of them is uh, we know there's a general strike currently that's going on. What are what are the goals of the current general strike? Um, how long do you anticipate this strike to continue? And just to end up, you know, this interview off. To to, to add on to that, um, you know, we know that you guys have a goal of of you know aiding the Haitians' uh, struggle. So um, you know. What groups on the ground are you connected to with this strike? And uh, what are ways, you know, us in the African diaspora can uh, help these groups on the ground in their struggle to gain sovereignty?
2: First, I want to, you know, shout out to the AAPRP because, because you've been in solidarity with the struggle in Haiti. And, you know, we've experienced that in many, many different ways over the years and so you know we appreciate that work and and the movement in haiti appreciates it you thank know you, and, and and you know in terms of our work people can get into we we also or pierre and i also work with the haiti emergency relief fund which mm-hmm. is dedicated to raising funds for the grassroots movement in haiti there's no paid staff there's no overhead everything goes to haiti unlike a lot of these big ngos who take a lot of the cut and you know build staff in haiti and create institutions like around their own work but a lot of the money does not get into the hands of grassroots Haitian organizers everything that we do does and you know in order to get in order to um reach out to the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. It's www.haitiemergencyrelief.org You know, gotcha. and then in terms of who we work with in Haiti, like we we support the Lavalas movement in Haiti, which is a very broad movement. There's a party, FAMI Lavalas, political organization, but there's also a breadth of you know student groups and women's groups and you know, peasant organizations and worker organizations that are all connected with the Lavalas movement. And that's who we take our leadership from as we develop solidarity work with Haiti. Um, There is a lot of
1: actions in resistance by the Haitian people. There was a general strike, I believe, about two weeks ago, which was a two-day general strike observed by everybody uh mm-hmm. but in everywhere in Haiti almost everybody i'm not saying the phtk party that's the party of jovenel moise which means the, uh, basically it means haitian skinhead party that's what it means and which tells you the fascist character of that of that party so people be using people are using all kinds of tactics and and strategies and um uh, people would erect barricades they would do various things you know so that general strike was part of it, but then okay. various things are taking place. Also, I want to say that, think of Haiti as, as we thought of South Africa back in the anti-Apartheid uh, periods, that there, was, uh, there were several attempts to bring this group or that group in and try to divert the attention of people by creating groups that were really beholden to the imperialist powers and didn't want to see the end of apartheid. But then in Haiti, same thing, the masses of our people see themselves represented by Fami Lavalas political organization.
0: Gotcha. They were
1: the, anytime there is a vote, people have voted massively overwhelmingly for the Fermi Lavalas party. They have a record of building hospitals and schools and, and uh, public parks, public places for people um, you know, providing clean drinking water for the population, standing up, providing support for women and children, including disbanding the military and turning over the 40% of the budget that used to go to the military, uh, putting it into building schools and hospitals. And the places where they build them is very important. They build them in the countryside, in places that traditionally have been excluded from the benefits of, of, uh, the, of the country of Haiti. So in other words, the masses of our people work, they've been overtaxed, overexploited, but then they never receive in terms of services such as schools and hospitals, uh, any benefit from the taxes that they paid. All of that went straight to the small elite or to the imperialist powers that were sucking the blood of Haiti. So for me represents on the embodiment of what the masses of our people see as their as the as their organization that articulates their demands and that implements at any chance that it has, anytime it's in office, implements the agenda the people's agenda. And that's why it's been targeted repeatedly, massively. And the communities that you see being attacked repeatedly, where people, pregnant women are being burned alive. And I want to mention Margaret Prescott did a I believe on Real News, Uh, you can look at it on YouTube, where, uh, and there is a report, the La Saline Massacre. And this report, Judith Merkinson and Seth Dunley from the Haiti Action Committee, wrote that report. And that report is on the website of the Haiti Action Committee and also National Lawyers Guild, who Judith Merkinson uh, represented in that delegation. So they wrote that report, very instructive. It tells you details why this community, which was a a place where Lavalas, where the residents really supported the Lavalas movement and why they were attacked. And since then, many other communities have been attacked also because they are identified. They are poor communities and they know who, on which side, which side they need to support. And Lavalas is their organization and that's why they are being killed and nothing is being done to arrest their killers who are warming the streets and are connected to big government officials. i would mentioned Jimmy Barbecue Cherizier, former policeman, as one of them, but there are several other members, including high government officials, who are involved in this.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for, you know, this interview, giving us so much information. Didn't catch it early. He talked about ways to you could support directly. It's no Western NGOs like, you know, that the Red Cross did Back when you had the an earthquake and they didn't send any money over, no, we're not doing it like that. We're getting money directly to the people. If you have any questions for them, if you want to get involved with them as well, you know, we're gonna, um, we're gonna do it on our social media. But uh, you know, that does it for us. Thank hey, you guys for having us.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks both to both of you. Man, thank it you was-
1: all so very much. And uh, the APRP, as Robert mentioned, has been very supportive. to land. That's our call. Yes, sir. Free the land. And man, it
0: was worth the worth the wait. This is a great episode. I'm sure everybody's gonna love it. Um, thank you guys again. We'll catch you on the next episode.
1: I'm run